Welcome to Verbal Art, a podcast where we talk about artsy stuff in different locations. I did a little sound walk for downstairs. That was wonderful. Um, I think we can stop it for a moment and start it again. Okay, we have our coffee. Let's move in here. So, I think if you sit over there, I can take a little stool. Yeah, something like this, and then maybe I can place this on the floor. Oh, too many things in my hands now. Maybe it will be when I need it done. Do you want to stay in another chair so I can be in the middle? No, I can just put it, just maybe we don't um, kick our feet around, around too much. Yep, if we can remember. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly still. Okay, um, welcome to Verbal Art with Senia Ram this podcast where I interview artists and other cultural personalities about their creative jobs or artworks or anything in this area. Today we are in Oxasen Katu 11, which is a gallery in Helsinki. And I am here with Marlos Fanson and Minerva Iovlanti. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we are in a sound exhibition. Yep. Yes. So, Minerva, you were one of the curators of this exhibition, right? Yes. Can you just give us a short introduction to to the whole concept? Uh, okay, so, yeah, my name is Minerva Jolati and I'm one of the three, like, we're three main curators, so me and Ji Koho and Stolo Kolehmainen. And then there has been uh, Laura Hyvärinen was also part, like in the beginning. And 
and then we have been uh, creating kind of in the context of Anne and Luma, the Charm of Sound Association, that is a, an association to promote sonic arts in Finland and in Helsinki. And then our core idea in building the exhibition or like searching for works for the exhibition was to kind of think about sonic arts in as wide as a perspective as there can be. So to search for like um, yeah multiple different ways of how to approach or uh, sonic arts or the sonic or the oral or like oral I don't know how to not oral but oh yeah I think this is such a confusing way of naming the senses that oral and oral are almost the same yeah. and it has so different meanings I think this is like a bad way of titling things that are in the same area yeah. but yeah. different yeah. <laughs> but you know it's like if arms and legs were almost called the same yeah. thing imagine how much confusion you would make with your language but arms and legs also have similarities or like their limbs also so there and then senses are also like, yeah i don't know the limits of the senses are also interesting and maybe that's also one thing that we're um like kind of interested in in this exhibition how like the sound can be approached like not only presenting like works that produce sound to the space or to the headphones or something like this but also works that approach sound um, like as or like from as paper or like as words or like mm -hmm. how to approach the sonic from kind of from this maybe translation point of view so that so that for example we have also um, paintings done by drawings and um, uh, other paper works uh, that are approaching kind of um, for example making a composition like from this like um, like visual perspective so so then I don't know so considering a composition to be something normally related to musical compositions and then how do you make a visual composition yeah, yeah. somehow something like that or um, or for example my <laughs> my own piece which is very uh, conceptual where I approach kind of like ideas of sound from like making um, raster surfaces and kind of like yeah so then like these visual surfaces on paper but then it represents sound or it's like a translation of sound I'm not sure if it makes <laughs> sense is it those ones this that are hanging above our heads? Yes, this is my okay so it's three so. square pieces of paper hanging is it paper in the middle one? Because it's sewn together from several elements. Huh? Yeah, then there is this, uh, in Finnish it's called skissipapere, that is like this, um, like a sketching paper that you can like uh, see through. So it's a little bit a mix between baking paper and plastic. No, it's yeah, not like that. Yeah. I think there is no plastic in that paper. But it feels a little bit like yeah, that. And you can print on it as well on a laser paper. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, and they have some graphic and minimalist uh, print on them. Yes, there is a print like um, yeah, on the paper. So a lot of square dots. 
Yes. <laughs> because the Lisa thing is just uh, a re result? Is that what it's called? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. It's just like it's dot printing, right? So mm -hmm. it's this like view. Yeah, I guess so. Like there are different, like there are two types of um, the raster surfaces that you can choose okay. and then, yeah, they are. But it's like the old school newspaper printing art where you mix the colors by like just layering them? Yeah, or it's like similar. I'm not yeah. sure if it has been used for uh, newspapers or, or cartoons maybe or... Yeah, know. maybe. And our, also the poster of the exhibition has been... Um, yeah, like it's in the same style as your yeah. uh, as your works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And how many artists are in this exhibition? So, uh, well, there is fifteen artists who have like an installation in the exhibition space, and then we have. Now I might be lying. There are, um, or I'm. Yeah, there are like six. There are going to be at least six performances. The performance events will be uh, next week and the week after that. And then there is one workshop and there have been two online one-to-one -one -on -one performances. One is going on now, or today is like the last Fiola yes, yeah. uh, So uh, together maybe 22, 23, no I'm not completely sure. A lot of artists, because yes. the space is not huge, it's in two floors and we will go downstairs at some point and well that's in the intro walkthrough, that's where I was walking through the downstairs but we will go down again. So it's like, it's a lot of smaller rooms and one a little bit bigger downstairs, but it's not a massive gallery, it's that, so it's a lot of artists to fit in. Yeah, but uh, I think it's a really nice gallery for a stunning arts exhibition because there are like many different spaces, so it's like, also because in sonic arts exhibitions the issue or this kind of like problem that you have to solve is that when there are many works that uh, emit some sound to the space, then how to place them so that they're not eating each other's or like they're not completely covering each other. So like a music festival where you can't have too many stages because they bleed into each other's yeah. space and yeah. uh, Fusion Festival is the only one I have ever been to where they kept adding more and more stages every year. And somehow they were so good at the sonic like architecture yeah. of the space that mm -hmm. it, they at one point they had like more than 20 stages, I think, in the same space that they had 14 when I started. And it was still okay. So yeah. a sound exhibition is like a festival. You have some yeah, physical true. limitations or <laughs> considerations. Yeah. Unless you want everyone to work with headphones, but that's also Yeah, good. and that's what we didn't want to do. There are a few works that have headphones, but we didn't want that every work has headphones. So, um, and I think we have like... Like most of the works don't make such a big sound to the space, but then I think we also made a nice, or I'm happy with the composition that we made, like the sonic journey that you can do mm. uh, through the exhibition. So it's not, like for me, it's not that they would be like taking each other's airspace too much. And you selected all these people from an online open call, right? Yes. I saw it, I was <laughs> too busy at the time to make a pitch for anything, but I saw it and I remember thinking, damn, if it had come a few months from now, I would have been further into some works that could have been appropriate or I could have had time to edit something. 
but at this time it was not possible. It's often yeah. like that. You see a great open call, but you just you don't have anything ready, or you don't have time to prepare something new. Yes, and we yeah we were surprised how many people uh, took part in the open call. There were um, I think fifty five or fifty six proposals, and oh, then you selected a lot. Then yeah, yeah. So like yeah, like selected away, and it was a no, but still that you could take about half of what you was yeah, applying. Yeah, that's yeah. a lot, I would say. Yeah, but it was still a tricky process. Like many yeah. works that like we would have wanted to take, but then there wasn't enough space or other things. So then, um, but also what we were thinking, or what is one of the ideas also behind the exhibition, is to. Uh, is discuss or start not start but like um, discuss the need of a space for showing our uh, sonic arts in Helsinki or like also maybe a need like like it has been interesting to discuss with some people about like this idea of maybe having like every year something similar like an exhibition on sonic arts or something so like i don't know maybe <laughs> like hopefully maybe next time this will yeah. like um, be a seed for something else um or some kind of like a continuation so then uh you can also <laughs> propose your work <laughs> so and i think there is much more people like we got 55 proposals which is a lot but then i think like maybe there would be another 55 that didn't like have the time at the time to, or like even more mm. people so I, yeah and also my experience from being on both sides of open calls is that artists are very busy they have to be their own managers and secretaries and sales personnel and everything so running your calendar can be a little bit like the schedule aspect can be quite chaotic yeah. so you often see an open call and you're like oh wonderful and then you miss the deadline yeah, yeah you just you forget about it you pin it in the email and because it's pinned in the top you completely overlook it or I don't know, it, it really often happens. And being on the other side of it, like putting out the open calls and selecting, it's so often that you get people like the day after, two, three days after, we're like, oh, I completely forgot, I'm sorry. Which is kind of rude, don't do that, people. It's really annoying. But I mean, sometimes we do accept the people anyway, especially if we really like it or if people write us directly and personally and say, oh, or, yeah, we know, but mm, it's a waste of our time also, so yeah, that's all that's I'm trying. That's a for a reason. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> we have meetings and we have to select. But in any case, Marlos, you are one of the artists who made the deadline and yes. who uh, was <laughs> selected and found time in your life to create a completely new piece yes. for this occasion. Yeah. And speaking of claiming the space and stuff, you have claimed the whole centerpiece of this first room that we are in. So the first thing people experience when they walk into this exhibition is your work. I have to say that it wasn't so much me claiming it. I just proposed this piece. I proposed it actually with only a picture of a scale model that I had built. I had barely any documentation. I need, I need to say that it was a really beautiful scale model that we were like. You were impressed. Impressed. Yeah. <laughs> 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 not just the drawing. No. 
in your head and then you have to build it and then it becomes something. But yes, I was I had this idea, I applied with it, I was really happy that I got accepted. And then I had to work insane hours. Now you had promised to make this idea come true. Yes, I had promised to make it. It was quite ambitious because I was trying a lot of new techniques and I had less time than I had expected, so the weeks before the opening I uh, yeah, I'm not proud of the amount of hours that I worked on it. <laughs> it happened, uh, and then I came in and people saw the piece, and I think you already had in mind that it would take this space, uh, because I was kind of open to putting it wherever. There, It's basically three... Yeah, okay, so uh, we are growing yeah. a little bit the format, because usually yeah. I always ask people to help me describe the space first. Mm. So maybe if you can both quickly just like describe the room to the audience and then uh, we can explain your piece in the center of the room afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Don't do it. Or, well, I don't know. Like, you can just like yell on top of each other if you want to. Yeah. Uh, well, it's not like it's not a um, cube, but it's it's like quite a bit. I would say, but yeah. it's really like a big white walled space. Yeah, and the nice thing about this gallery is that you have this big window and then some yeah, steps down, so you sort of look down upon the works. It's a really nice like, curved uh, railing, yeah. this metal railing, it's quite beautiful. And there used to be some shop, I'm not sure, maybe some uh, grocery shop or something before, but I think so. Um, Yes, and then we had like we had quite like detailed plans also like we were placing the works uh, like kind of that they would like also communicate with each other somehow. Yeah. But then also there were like surprises when <laughs> like uh, as there are working yes, with artists and yeah, artworks, they tend to change. Yeah. And then works change, and then you're like, wow. And then it's some communication yeah. is key when something changes yeah. in either end. Please inform each other. Oh yes, yes I would also <laughs> say that that's a nice thing to do. Yeah. And also, I don't know, then there are surprises and then you just have to also work with those surprises. Yeah. And there was quite a lot of time for build-up, I feel. Yes, that's three, really cool. yeah. Yeah, three days, full days, where you could place the work. So that mm -hmm. helped, I guess, for you, but also for me to get it done. Uh, and yeah, so... I, yeah, I mean, there is this beautiful floor which I feel really needs to be mentioned. So mm. it, it's this like black and white checkered floor and it goes through the whole gallery, also downstairs or uh, just not downstairs. But upstairs, it goes to the back room as well where there is also some works placed in this little like gap. Alleyway, I want to call it, but it's inside so that's not the name. It's like this kitchen and stairwell mm. area. Uh, and the nice thing about this gallery, I think maybe the nicest thing is that outside there is this little square with like a little tiny park area yeah. and benches so actually the traffic is removed from the door yeah. which might be one of the reasons why it's so good for sound art also because that's true i didn't think about that but i didn't think about oh okay we, we do hear a lot though like footsteps really but not bad not compared not to being like um so in some of the episodes I'm in galleries where you can literally hear all the traffic yeah, yeah, coming yeah. out right behind us through yeah. the window. Because yeah. Yeah. I was recording a bit and I did hear the tram and then these crunchy footsteps of people walking on these little sure. gravel. You, you might be able to hear them this as well. Yeah, it's really not bad. No. Um, so 
even though we're in the middle of Dörle, um, which is like quite central in yeah. Helsinki, um, yeah, it does feel like we're a little bit removed from the actual yes. cityscape. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect uh, gallery for a Sonic Arts exhibition. Mm -hmm. So, and today we are in the mid of March. 2023, and it's still winter in Helsinki because it marches a winter month in Helsinki. Mm. But there's a lot of sun today, yeah. so there's a lot of light in here, which is wonderful. Yeah, and uh, then there are like works on all the walls here and above us in the ceiling. But Marlos, let's talk about your centerpiece. Yes, bring it back to that. What what is it? Uh, so it's three chairs. Um, I found the chairs in a the dumpster. <laughs> they were very ugly in the beginning with this kind of like red fake leather upholstery which I all took off. Oh. Um, I think that sounds pretty kitschy though. It was <laughs> I <kitschy>. like that. <laughs> it could have been nice if the state would have been better, but they, they were I think part of them were red originally and then the others were painted, so I, I took that off and I sanded them down to make them a bit more minimalistic. And then I constructed these backrest boxes um, of plywood uh, and they sort of interlock together so all the chairs are with their backs towards each other and then these boxes they sort of fit and then there are knobs and uh, switches on the top so these chairs they they make sound um, they kind of have their own voice because I was trying to play with this idea of the yeah, the agency of an object and object-oriented ontology. Uh, so I kind of wanted to give the chair a say in uh, how they were being used or how they were being approached or uh, what was done with them. Um, but then as a user, you can influence how they sound. So by uh, turning the knobs and uh, flicking the switch, you uh, can either make their sound understandable or turn it sort of into a more kind of background noise. Um, so you have turned these three chairs into three identical instruments? Almost identical. Like the controls are the same but the samples that are in there are different. Ah, okay. But uh, like the as yeah. as as instruments go, if we can yeah. call Is that okay to call them? Yes. Yeah, sure. They have the same functionality. Yeah. 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 Which is like, it looks some, like some electronic, like, not a synthesizer, but an amplifier or something. Like it has some knobs and some switches and yeah. like... Some kind of retro uh, audio device vibe, mm -hmm. I guess, also because of the shape. I have this like Star Trek uh, yeah. feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit like the control panel where the furniture is like part of the whole yeah. technology. Maybe also because of the shape. Star Trek logo, which oh, is a little bit similar to the. I'm sorry. No, no. <laughs> I can relate to that. I do like that aesthetic. So I feel like maybe I should demonstrate. I should try because I didn't try yeah. these chairs yet. Sure. It's, I love interactive art. Can you keep track of the levels? Yeah. If it's like fully blasting, you can turn it down on the left side. But I think it will be yeah. okay. Yeah, because we we'll probably have to up the volume a little bit because I toned it down quite significantly. Okay, so I will sit down on one of three chairs <laughs> and then I'm kind of expecting it to do something. <laughs> no, it takes a little bit of patience. So is this the volume? Yeah, that's the volume. So somewhere there. Yeah. And then okay. if I do, what is this switch? Um, so it's a granular uh, 
of samples that are loaded into the device and the granular filter chops the samples open up into little bits and pieces and then you can kind of control how these bits are uh, being played afterwards. So uh, you can change like how big the grain of the granular sample is, so how long the, the tiny uh, bit is of the thing. And so what should I do? Let's see. If it's if it's awake <laughs> Um, 
I have to say, like, there, there are not such deep thoughts behind okay. that, but one of the things that I was thinking is that a chair does not necessarily have to be used in the way that we're uh, taught to. Like, you can also sit backwards on a chair, and you can also sit sideways, and then use the controls. And the other thing that uh, happens if you have a chair with controls in the back is that you can also just sit back and listen to what the chair is doing. You don't actually have to touch it for it to make sound, because there's a, a sensor in the uh, in the seat, Oh, uh, which if you cover it while sitting, then it actually reacts. So it will make more sound when you sit down, and then oh. you can, for example, also change the controls when you're standing, and then sit down and listen to what it does, and then, for example, stand back up, and then change them some more, and then sit down again. Um, so it's, yeah, it's just different flows that you can use to sort of interact with it. You don't necessarily have to sit while playing. It's also nice that you have to break the rules of the yeah. concept in order to get the fun out yes. of it. Because in the end, the piece is kind of about uh, the yeah, a different way maybe to interact with the chairs. <laughs> so yeah. Did you have this platonic um, motivation behind choosing a chair as an object? Because at least wasn't it Plato who said like that used the chair as a an example of. Uh, the idealized world, like our ideas of a concept, and that they are like uh, there's a universal, like conceptual idea behind everything. And so, a chair is like the idea of the chair is like behind every chair in the world, you know, somehow. I don't think I have like encountered that Plato. Uh, okay, well, our <laughs> art philosophy teacher at the university here, he okay. uh, used the chair as a Plato example. Okay, okay. wow! He might have made it up. I don't know. <laughs> no, he was this old, really cool, scholar guy within the field, so he might have had his own, like, well-versed translations of things. I don't know. Yeah. I am not that familiar with that theory, but one of the reasons why I, why I wanted to use a chair is because uh, a chair has a very intuitive use. Like, we encounter chairs everywhere throughout our lives and we sort of know that we can sit down on them. Like it's a, an interaction that we've done thousands of times. Um, and one of the things that I find very interesting is how we interact with certain objects. So what if I can change a chair in such a way that uh, we have a different interaction with it? Yeah. So question uh, functionality. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Or question the way that we approach something or what we expect of something. Um, mm. So yeah, and it, I found them and I thought they were nice and I wanted to do yeah, something sure. with them. That's another reason. And so what so what you have done is yeah, you have stripped them of the fake leather and you've painted them and all but you have done a lot of like um, electronics work and coding for this piece, right? Yes. Um, so okay, I know this is like probably way too out of any of our leagues to properly understand, but can you somehow dumb it down and, and just <laughs> give a run through of what does that mean? I can, yeah, yeah, <laughs> no problem. Uh, so the way it works is that there's a light sensor in the, um, in the seat, so of course there's a certain amount of ambient light uh, which it picks up normally and then if it becomes darker because you sit on it, then it uh, reacts. Mm. Um, and the chair knows that someone is there. Yes, then the chair knows that it's being sat upon. <laughs> uh, 
So I use a, a Raspberry Pi in the backrest, which is kind of the brain of the whole installation, it's this tiny computer, um, which I programmed, so I get the sensor data from the light sensor and the data from the knobs um, into the Raspberry Pi through Python, this programming language, and then I send it to Super Collider, which generates the audio. Um, and that's where all the, the audio effects and the granulation of the samples uh, and everything happens. And what is Super Collider? It's uh, an open source programming language for audio. Um, okay. So Computer software. Yes, it's a, I think it's one of my most software heavy uh, installations so far, which is why I had some struggles because I do work a lot with electronics, but software is something that I do on the side every once in a while. It's not necessarily my strongest feat, so I had to learn two new programming languages <laughs> to get this done in a month and a half, which was tough. It's ambitious. <laughs> it was I was impressed. <laughs> it was a bit more ambitious than I maybe uh, anticipated. <laughs> <laughs> but it was fun. Like it was a very nice process, and it's definitely something that I will continue with. And sometimes you just need a deadline to get something started. And I mean, we still met each other at this one art event. Few weeks or a month ago, and you were out drinking beers, and I thought, oh, it can't be that bad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, if, if, if I meet you here, like, you're not drowning completely. No, it wasn't terrible, but uh, I did have my moments where I had some despair. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, because I mean, I know Manos because uh, you have been my electronics teacher in my uh, Academy of Fine Arts here in Helsinki. So, what does it mean to do the electronics inside these chairs? We can't see it now because there's like plywood finish, uh, yeah, like a box on everything. But how does it look inside? Uh, it's a lot of wires, and then I have a board that decodes the uh, the potentiometer, so the knobs, so that the Raspberry Pi can understand them. So it's, there's an analog to digital converter, as it's called, in there. Um, but Electronics-wise, there, there's not a huge amount of complicated stuff in there. It's, you just uh, sort of feed the knobs and switch it into the computer bit. And then there's a speaker in each of them. Yeah, there's a speaker and a tiny amplifier uh, and uh, 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 yeah, a very small, cheap audio interface because Raspberry Pi's uh, own audio uh, hardware is not amazing. <laughs> so I needed to have a... So you modified yeah. the pie. Well, it's just a USB audio interface mm. that, uh, yeah, then gives us better audio quality. Is it difficult this translation between analog and digital in an application like this? It was relatively simple. It's just this one uh, chip that you wire up, and then uh, you use a software library to, uh, yeah, decode the data that you get. Um, so was, that was quite a straightforward process. Lots of tutorials to be found online to do it, and they oh, were it. So that was nice. And so not that much soldering? Not a huge amount, no. Less than in my average work, I'd say. Okay. For something like that, did you have this? Did you have to make your own schematics, or could you find online like ready-made schematics for the electronic uh, circuits? I used the combination of both. Okay. So I found the schematic for the analog to digital converter circuit that I needed and then yeah I I have some extra bits there so I have an LED which I need to wire up of course and then uh, yeah there's all kinds of 
wiring routines that I had to, of course, come up with myself. Because there's, of course, no schematic to be found for this complete installation. But yes, people have connected nodes to Raspberry Pis, and you can find uh, schematics for that. So, yeah, mm -hmm. a combination. And so, how do you feel about all this open source, uh, like the vibe that there is usually in these electronics communities? And are you now uploading uploading your schematics for this so that other people can copy it, or is it like as an artist that you are holding onto it? I am very happy about sharing stuff that I found. I haven't uploaded any of this yet because I didn't have the time yet to document it properly. But I would, yeah, I would be happy to do so uh, because I really feel that the technological part is something that you you build upon schematics and knowledge of other people so much that you can't really claim it as your own. It's sort of what you do with it that creates the the. Uh, artistic output, not necessarily the electronics themselves, even though they're an integral part of it. Uh, Can we maybe explain to the audience what schematics are? Because <laughs> I realize we're just tossing all these terms around. So yes, so schematics are basically the uh, the blueprint or like the the yeah <laughs> blueprint makes sense. It's the Yeah, it's like drawings of electronic circuits. So if it's the instruction manual for something, yeah, or less. Like it's what you need to construct something. So it's the it's the explanation of what is happening within an electronic uh, circuit or like device or something, and then you can draw it as this like the cable goes this way and then the power goes this way and there's plus and minus and then like this component and that component and. So all the little parts that are inside electronic Yeah, it's how things. they seem to connect with each yeah. other and communicate with each other basically. And then there are like all these physics uh, signs <laughs> that you use for power and resistance and different components and processes. And then you put those and you put numbers so that people can make correct electronic stuff that doesn't uh, burn or like short cuts yeah. your house mm -hmm. or anything. Yes. So. This is like you can find them online if you are working with electronics, or you can make your own if you are skilled enough. Yeah, but I think most people would work with a combination because there are so many rules and conventions within designing electronics, and there are so many options that you always build upon somebody else's knowledge, uh, even if you are a super, uh, yeah engineer, technologically minded person, you probably will still look up how other people have done something before you invent the wheel yourself again. Because <laughs> it is also like physics. It's yeah. a little bit like uh, architecture blueprints, of course they are like someone's design, but it's also somehow just math and like physics and stuff that nobody invented that, or someone might have invented that, but not right now. Yeah, there are certain <laughs> rules that are a good idea to follow because otherwise you might have a hard time getting something to work. Uh, yeah, exactly. So that's why it's always nice to be able to check somebody else's findings from what they have tried. Mm. Yeah, so I do really believe in sharing this kind of knowledge with other people because yeah, why keep all of that for yourself if other people can also yeah, figure out something new and interesting with that. Mm. And I really like those communities where it's the default uh, communal standard that you just share like all the uh, behind the scenes uh, knowledge. There are like some art niche communities where this is more standard than in others. Um, 
I think some areas of the art world people are very secretive and very like holding on to their own discoveries or inventions. Uh, people who have patented colors and within design worlds and stuff, you know. Yeah, but there is still building on other people's work also. Yes, or of our like knowledge. So it's yeah. But I think that's like somehow beautiful what you said. Or like also like when you think about the medium like and then the what is where is the artistic work in that. Like yeah. it's not the like the medium can be whatever and then it's about like what you do with it and yeah, have to have a good idea. idea. Yeah, yeah, and then the content and the yeah, and how you frame something and how you construct yeah. something yeah. is more important for the yes. artistic outcome. I find at least like there's of course hundreds of different styles of doing yeah. that. But, yeah. And what we found like especially interesting in your work when we were doing the selection was the like the conceptual thinking behind it and also like. Well, I have to say that also the woodworks in the, <laughs> in the piece, they're really nice. It's like it's also a really nice kind of woodworks design. But then, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so what we were also like thinking a lot about when we were selecting the pieces was the, like the conceptual thinking behind the piece, not only like the like wow, this use is like super, super nice, um, yeah. like e equipment mm. or like um, technique or something, or like, or that the sound is amazing, or like, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's not a high fi exhibition. It's, it's a no, sound it's not, art exhibition. Yeah, yeah. or like a sonic art exhibition. Yeah. So, yeah. So the concept behind and the conceptual yeah. thinking was very. Uh, essential in the process when we were selecting. So mm -hmm. yeah, nice to hear. Yeah, and you also have this like, nice catalog where yeah. things are yeah more explained and highlighted, and people can actually dive into sort of the meaning yeah, yeah. of different works. Is it explained by the artists or the organizers? Yeah, uh, the artists are like have written some like mm -hmm. text about the work, and then yeah. there are also the uh, short bio of. But it's nice that you have written like proper little bound books and yeah. not just some like printed sheets or yeah, yeah I, I did the buy. I really enjoyed it. But you can also <laughs> find the catalogue online in um Anna website, anilumo.com. We will plug all these yeah. in the end of yeah. the episode. Okay. You get to list all the websites yeah. and yeah. social media yeah. that you want and then I will put them in the show notes so people have direct links and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um but yeah, I mean, honestly, this idea of like the concept versus the actual product, I think that is the crucial like center of this whole what is fine art compared to all these other types of art. Like whenever people are like, yeah, I study fine art, like what does it mean, this fine? Like it means a lot of things. It means you get to have an opinion on art and it also means that you can study art and be an artist without actually producing art if you don't want to. When people ask, <laughs> like, is it hard to get into the art academy? I'm like, yeah. And then they ask maybe, so you have to be very skilled. I'm like, no, no, not really. You have to have good ideas and you have to have an interesting way of explaining them or an interesting way of looking at the world. So I think in the entrance exam, 
uh, well, not all other countries in the world, but like in the northwest of Europe here, where it's very conceptualized mm -hmm. and very modern, you can go to the entrance exam, like you, you wouldn't even have to show anything if your way of talking about the ideas was intriguing enough. Mm -hmm. I think, at least in my entrance exam here in Helsinki, I had like horrible shit materials to work with because I flew with hand luggage. I made like a sculpture of post-its and you know, this type of things. But but I don't know, I guess they liked my way of developing ideas on the spot or like the curiosity about things. But I guess it also really depends what department you apply for and what sort of art you want to make. Oh, definitely. Certain departments are definitely very much about skills. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Also within fine art. Like if you have a more paint, have painter heavy school, then of course they want to see what you paint. Oh, and there yeah. are all types of artists, and, and of course you can be in different uh, ends yeah. of, the, uh, of the scale. Yeah. yeah, and then also in your work, models, it's like very. <laughs> yes, no, oh yeah, we, we show many skills. It's yeah. not that we're trying to talk down this thing here now. <laughs> no, I, I, I do really enjoy learning new techniques and diving into them and working with them. And I guess, yeah, it will show. Like, I have people come in and they said, yes, I immediately recognize that you've made this. <laughs> oh, really? It's your style. There's a certain style that I definitely have that people will recognize in this work as well. Is it the wood or the knobs or what do you think? Yeah, it's a combination of the, the electronics and then this, this uh, finished woodwork kind of, yeah. Yeah. How did you cut the wood? Is it like a... Um, like or design this thing? I don't know. Is that, uh, is that interesting to talk about? <laughs> you think so? <laughs> I have a combination of tools that I usually use. So I use a, a, a circular saw with a guide ruler uh, for the straight cuts and then I have a, a jigsaw that I do the rest with. Mm. But it's all one hand tools. I don't have a huge wood workshop. I just mm. have a basic uh, yeah, setup. Do you do it all in your studio? Yes. Yeah, wow. So sawdust in an electronics workspace? I invested in a, a shop vacuum recently, which was a very good decision. Okay, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Whenever I'm drilling into the walls in my studio something, I like uh, hold or tie up my normal vacuum <laughs> head so that I can like not get dust in all yeah. my machines. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I used to work without it and then I would cover things with sheets of plastic yeah, or fabric uh, to keep the dust away. I bought a lot of plastic storage boxes, so yeah, everything is the same. plastic boxes. I have the same, but now with this vacuum it's uh, made my life so much nicer. It's nice. I think the last thing maybe to ask is like, um, what are the samples that are inside? So I've been... I use my own voice this time. I can imagine that I use different voices for some future iteration maybe, uh, but it's me saying different terms that I relate to chairs, things like sit down, stand up, uh, are you comfortable, um, go away, yes, come go closer. Away. <laughs> I love this when someone was sitting, I think it was when there were the there was the family and then the chair was just like saying like go away, go away. <laughs> Like what kind of things would a chair say when you interact with it? Um, 
and I really try to empathetically personify the chair. Yeah. Yes, in a way. Uh, so what is the concept of the chair? How we kind of communicate? What kind of things can communicate to or like? Yeah, what, I don't know. What because can read from me. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a, a partly also a silly thought because. Uh, I was thinking like, what if a, a chair would somehow communicate uh, about what you do with it uh, and have a say in that? Like, what if a chair doesn't actually want you to sit on it and it tells you to stand up and go away? Would you actually listen to it? Uh, I mean, if the chair suddenly shouted at me and no matter what it was saying, I think I would pay attention at least because the chair was talking. <laughs> Funny thing that I've noticed when I was sitting at the uh, exhibition and people were interacting with it is that people are more like, haha, that's funny, and they actually stay. They, they, they stay oh, yeah. on the chair even though it tells you to go away. So people might not actually listen to a chair communicating to you because, yeah. And I find that, that kind of an interesting concept. Like what if something communicates to you that you're not used to, mm -hmm. uh, like normally a chair wouldn't really communicate to you. you just use it as an object, so what if the chair actually has a say in that? Would you listen? Or would you just tune it out and turn it into background noise? Did anyone talk back to the chair? Some people do. There was a group of students here and they were really responsive to what the chair had to say. They were like, oh sorry about the book, it's fine. I'll come back later if you want me to. Yeah, I think that would be a fun um, place to segue over to this experience of um, when you have made art and exhibited or if you have organized the exhibition or anything if you're like part of like the behind process and then you get to experience people experiencing this mm. yes. uh, like you can be like you say be in the exhibition either in the opening or you can be invigilating which is art language for being the person to sit and keep an eye on the exhibition and hold the door open. Um, so if you are... What was the word? Invigilating. Invigilating. So the person okay. sitting there like, is the invigilator. And often we are quite poor artists working in these like uh, independently run spaces, so we have to invigilate our own exhibitions. Yeah. Um, but it can also be I have sometimes made installations that had a curtain or something and then I could hide behind it. I mean, I didn't build yeah. it so I could, but I would randomly be sitting behind my own installation and working or next to it and people would know that I was the artist. And then to just listen to people experiencing your works or... Yeah, it's, yeah that's yeah, the best. So I interesting. Yeah, I think that's a, also a really nice part, like if you are a fine artist or any type, artist, or any type of artist, but especially like if you're not like a performing artist where you kind of have at least a theoretical chance to like get some kind of response or like you're at least together always in the performance mm. with the audience. But then I, like we have like uh, divided the, now that it's a tricky word, in Invigilations schedule. Yes, <laughs> in schedule among the artists, so no one has like too much, I think, of a burden of like being in the exhibition space. But I think it's also a really nice thing for the artists, and also like I've enjoyed it myself to be in like uh, taking care of my own exhibition. So then I don't know, and it's nice to see the audience yeah. also and how they interact with the work. 
Yeah, because they don't know that you're the artist, because there are so many artists involved yeah. in this exhibition that yeah. they can't really guess yeah, which yeah. work is yours, so it's really fun to see people yeah. interact without them knowing that you're actually observing them. Yeah, exactly. So even though it's like also this one of the aspects of the precarious situation of the artists, but then also it's a nice thing to mm. also actually be in the space when people are experiencing the artwork. And I think if you do something that is interactive in the sense that people need to use it, then you have to observe people because you cannot always yeah. guess how people might approach something. So there are certain things yeah. that I want to slightly tweak now that I've seen people oh. interact with it. And I kind of knew already, but yeah. But you learned something about your yes. own work from the... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I always considered it to be that way, like, um, when is an artwork done, like, when it is meeting the audience, like, that is the last stage of the process of yeah. now, mm -hmm. and so, like, that's the final purpose of the, of the journey or something, and it's not actually completed the process for me until it has had this meeting somehow. Yeah. But I, I also think that, like, or how I approach my own works is that they are never, like, ready, in a sense, that yeah. they're, like, even though I would present them to the audience, then it's all, uh, like, then it, that's maybe just the next step for, like, also making the next piece or yeah. something like this and then mm. I try to approach like making artworks as like making sketches or drafts yeah. even though they are like kind of finished artworks but then still like they're not the end of what I want to do or say but then there is going to be the next thing and then then it, and then it might like build upon and oh, it might but it's it actually builds upon what yeah. I've done before and as you were saying that you want to maybe develop your this chair work somehow and work with some kind of or some things that you started working. Yeah. This yes. and then, so yeah. it's also as as also the open source yeah. culture, then it's also building like your own practices, building on the practice that what you've done. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, things grow from the things that you've mm -hmm. been making before. Yeah. And yeah, especially with these things that people have to interact with, there are just certain things that you can't really predict. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I, uh, I feel no shame in slightly altering them after I've already presented the work. Uh, while it's still on the, the exhibition? No, well, I was considering that, mm -hmm. but I, uh, I decided that for this exhibition they work well enough as they are now, and then maybe for a future, future iteration I might tweak things a little bit. Yeah, are you gonna continue the chair concept? Do you think that like now you have expanded on something that is interesting to continue with, or? or I might. I was. Uh, considering of, I don't know, making a, a, some kind of series of recycled or upcycled furniture interacting with people and there could be more chairs or maybe some That's other pieces of You could make a whole apartment of oh, kind of yeah. things talking to you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that might be a, a future... Uh, Come here, don't thing. go away! something that have a mirror said don't look at me that would be amazing like a whole room or like an yeah. apartment kind of furniture with that in a way yeah that might be some, somewhere I could go that's wonderful didn't we have in 
one of your classes about electronics, like a presentation of someone who made all these like uh, uh, yes, there was apartment um, installations, uh, like bathroom right. installation or something with electronic mm -hmm. things and light and sound. Or yeah, yeah, yes. I think that's a really good idea, but also this um, now these cinematics and this electronics and coding that you have like created this complete package. It could be used for another application, right? Yes. Like it wouldn't have to be a chair. You no, it's a system that I have. Yeah. I can transplant that in whatever, uh, basically. So, yeah. Which is also why this open source stuff is nice because then you're like, oh, I want something that can do this, and then maybe someone else has developed it for a different purpose, but it doesn't mean that you can't like make the translation in your brain that you could use it for what you need it for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. Is, are you used to curating exhibitions, Minerva, or is this like...? Uh, well, um, I was thinking a lot about this like when, I, when we were um, doing or working on the exhibition that actually like this has been, or I've been part of like some curatorial processes but maybe in a, a bit different role and then, or then I've been creating like events, but then but this kind of this scale open call exhibition I have never done before. And then I have been organizing a lot of things, but then not in this kind of like like the the curatorial process of like selecting works from such a big quantity of different works. That was like a new experience for me. And that was very uh, I could say also like it taught me a lot also as an artist. Yes. Like how, yeah, it's, it was very, or I, I value that process a lot and I'm mm -hmm. also very thankful for everybody who sent a, pro, a proposal and because, yeah, yeah it was very interesting. You learn a lot from reading other people's applications and yeah. then yeah. you realize the mistakes that you make yourself because, <laughs> yeah. you know, you have an idea of your artwork and you think you're explaining it so well and then you read all these people's applications and you're like, yeah, all these fancy words and concepts and dreams and ideas, but what is the work? Like, yeah. what, some people write what do you want to do? What is it? Like, what am I? Which is in this podcast another thing I have in the back of my mind, like, oh, we have to remember to describe like the, the words and the spaces yes. because we just talk about all these things and the, the listener has no idea what it is we're talking about. And it's the same with reading someone's proposal. Yeah. Like you say, wow, you have such an impressive like scale model. A scale yeah. model means that like you can yeah. you have a visualization, you can actually see it in yeah. the space and yeah. you and understand what it yes, is. And you have like you are or you know that this person has told it true, like what they actually want to do, or what are they proposing? <laughs> Did so you know that Malos had to well, learn to look properly languages before being in? No, I didn't know. <laughs> but that I'm really interested. About. Those things you don't tell. Yeah. Do yeah. you know how to work this? <laughs> and then look up the manual. Yeah. Well, there's this rule, right? That if you can teach yourself something with it weeks or something that then you basically have that skill. Oh wow. Is what I've heard from many people working in fancy jobs. Like if you know how to acquire this skill within a reasonable amount of time then basically you can say that you have it. Yeah, I like that. But I think also like what was interesting for me was uh, like the different um, things 
that were affecting the kind of curatorial choices, that mm -hmm. they were not just that like we found some work interesting or not, or some proposal, but it was also how how they fit together with the other works, or what is the kind of balance, or especially here, like what is the sonic balance yeah. of the works, so that there is not like uh, one work that takes like the whole sonic space of the exhibition space. So then there were like also in that way, it's, it's, it was important like when I think of myself as like proposing something for uh, an exhibition or something. Mm. event or something, then it's not about like, do they think I'm good or do they think the proposal is good necessarily, but it's, it can also be many different things yeah. that affect the choices and yeah. that was very interesting also. And it's a nice process, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I, I curate on a regular basis with Kino Club, which we mm -hmm. have mentioned in many podcast episodes. Uh, where we um, curate thematic uh, screening events of independent art films and so we often make selections of like many 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 short films and we make these like uh, compose these screening programs of super many tiny inputs and whenever I watch through all of these films and sometimes it's more than 40 films you know that you have to make a selection from and you can't just like you have to take into consideration people's attention span, so like some longer films and some shorter, and you have to have a break. And mm. but I, I always feel like it's a puzzle, mm. and the pieces there is a correct way that they fit together. I just have to find it, mm. and then I watch through all the films like two times maybe, and. Yeah, some of them might get chosen or not chosen based on the other ones in the bunch. Yeah. So some yeah. films that I did not like very much individually, they somehow talk to another film like, and then these two words start having a dialogue, and then you know that if you place them after each other in the program, they will like continue this like dialogue through the material, and so you get to say something with other people's creative yeah. words which is a very delicate process mm -hmm. and you have to consider how you do it and why but it's wonderful it's like yes and, and mm -hmm. how i would like describe myself because i don't see myself as a creator but i see myself maybe as an artist creator or an artist who can do creating sometimes or like and then also i think creating is an artistic process like oh, definitely you, we're describing that's totally like it becomes material that you work with. Yes, yes, totally. And then the collet or the collage yeah. that you make, kind of, of the things that you choose, then that's kind of creating this kind of one artwork. So I think these whole things of like distinguishing between like artist and curator and artist curator, which is a very yeah. new term that people use to like emphasize that they are also artists. I don't think it's a new term. No, I okay, but I've, I've started reading it more. Okay. Recently, that's more people are calling themselves artist curators, and I'm like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. but, but then I was also thinking about it because, like, when uh, two of us curators, like Yiko and me, wanted to also do our own works to the exhibition, so then I think that's also one way of because not seeing the ro our roles as just or just, it's also not, I don't want to say just creators, because creating is also a big thing as itself. Yeah. But then how we maybe saw our position was like also as, as artists, 
How did you handle that to put your own works in the exhibition? Did you send them with the rest of the applications or did you just like say during the process, by the way, I want to make works for this exhibition? Uh, well, they were like, we sent them also like to, uh, to the group and then, or like, uh, and then they were like part of also the process of choosing, but then of course, I don't know, we, we also like kind of made pieces that wouldn't, <laughs> now when I think about them, they wouldn't like take too much space and they were like kind of also communicating somehow with the other work. So then, then maybe you also design what you propose according to this like overall picture of the exhibition. So of course it's not the same or it's a different process of course. But yeah. And one thing that might be relevant to also mention in this uh, area of the talk is that so curators, what, like there are also a lot of other roles in this process. If you're in a bigger gallery, there like there are producers and there are technicians, and but in a smaller space, you have been all the roles, right? Yeah. So also, I assume that in the selection process, there are a lot of pragmatic decisions to be made, like uh, technical uh, limitations or uh, needs and the, like whatever money is there to back up this, these possibilities and like spatial considerations or limitations. Did you have to say no to some proposals that were just like too like demanding or too large or? Well, our starting point was that the that the artist would like uh, take care of the technique that they need, that, that we wouldn't provide that kind of service because we just don't have maybe the skill and the time. And, and it's fair. It's, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So then, um, but then, and we didn't, so that was like kind of the starting point. So I don't know if that affected so much. We didn't take some works because they were maybe as I said before, like taking too much, or we felt like physically too much too to much. Or not maybe physically, but like sonically too. Okay. Or yeah. like physics, that's also physics, <laughs> like how you take the yeah. airspace. But maybe, yeah, so then um, that we thought that they would like too much, uh, kind of take the sonic space and then being that way too big for this kind of like gallery exhibition. Also, the main door here, the front door, is a normal, slim, small door, and like the staircase for downstairs is uh, winding, like pretty narrow, yes. steep, yeah. uh, like a spiral staircase. So also, like there are just sometimes things you can do and mm -hmm. things you cannot do yeah. in yeah. some places. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, I mean. Uh, maybe let's talk a little bit about like what is Anlumo. Is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, Anlumo. So uh, that means uh, of sound. The the charm of sound. The charm of sound. Yeah, that's how it's kind of officially translated into English. And what is Anlumo? Uh, it's a well, it's a sonic arts association now. If I don't remember totally wrong, it was uh, initiated in 1995 to promote. Thank you, Matthias, for saying it. So, um, 
to promote Sonic Arts in, in Finland and in Helsinki. And then, um, but mostly Anna Lumo has been organizing concerts, uh, bringing a lot of people, uh, musicians, experimental Sonic artists from abroad, and then uh, having them together with like local artists uh, performing together and then so but I'm not sure if, if Anne and Lumo or if there has been a Sonic Arts exhibition before in the framework of Anne and Lumo. Are you or a member of the association? Yes, I am a member of the board and then um, and then Sulo Kolehmainen and then Laura Hyvarinen who are also part of the curatorial process, they are also part of the board. And then Jiko uh, is not part of the board, but like then we were collaborating with him. So I yeah, also a member of maybe a future member. <laughs> yes, like, I've been on the mailing list and participating in the events for a while, but I don't think I'm an official member yet. Or you can maybe, maybe I am. Yeah, I don't you know. can say that you're heard of Anne, or you're a member of Anne at the moment, but not member of the board. No, not of the board, yeah. but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, maybe some vague plans to become more involved. Yes. <laughs> yeah, but these like associations and like uh, self-organized structures and yeah, this kind of things they're very important in mm-hmm. in this field of work. I think. Yes. Yeah, I think it's like it has been very important for my work to be uh, like also exposed to different ways of working together or like inventing different projects or like uh, concerts or... And you're both also performers, and... right? You both perform with like sound art and other mm-hmm. types of yeah. performance. Yes, yeah. Or yeah, I yeah I do mostly performances and they're uh, somehow concentrate on sound or like evolve around sound or I work around sound and then you... Yeah, I'd say you're more of the performer. I do sound performances, but they are sort of... Because I started building instruments, I also started performing with them, and I I really enjoy making music, and then it just became part of my wider practice, but it's not my main focus, it's just something that I really enjoy doing. And so, you three people from Anandumo board just like sat down one day and said, shouldn't we do an actual exhibition? Uh, well, there was the open call of Oksasenkatu actually, and then we were, um, or like, Gikoho proposed that to me first, that then should we apply to, for the open call? Mm-hmm. Because Oksasenkatu has an open call for, or at least had last year, for curators and for artists. So then part of the year is like dedicated for curators and part of the year for like, um, so that like artists or artist groups can like propose exhibitions. So then, yeah. So then we proposed as a curatorial team this mm. kind of exhibition, and then the the process was kind of fast because then we we did the. I was in Kosovo at the time, like maybe I think it was September or August when we kind of did the application, and then and then we got selected like a month after or. Uh, maybe it was already in September when, or October uh, when we knew that we were selected and then uh, and then we did the open call and then <laughs> so it has been like it has been like six months yeah. only the whole yeah, 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 like like process it's yeah. quite short it felt quite short yeah. 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 but it's also interesting 
interesting. So it is like layer on layer. So we are in this gallery, which is called OK11 or Oksasenkatu11, which is really clever because this is the address. If you title the name of your gallery, the address, people will never forget where it is, but they will always be able to find it. Yeah. Um, and so this gallery, who is running that? Like, it's a group um, in itself. It's an artist collective okay. running it. And so they make an open call to say, we have the schedule open for next year. Who wants to exhibit? And yeah. then you apply as a as another as group of artists. It's like an arts <laughs> association of like sound geek artists. And then you're like applying with what? Because you didn't have any of the artists at this point. So you just made a, like you pitched the concept or what? Yeah. It's we like proposed the concept of like making a sonic arts exhibition uh, based on open call, like and then yeah. So you so didn't describe any works because they weren't selected yet, but you yeah. described your the vision. Concept, yeah, the concept and then mm. the vision and yeah, and then we had also the idea that then maybe this sort of exhibition would have interest or like that mm. artists or like we had this feeling of the. F- Field, or <laughs> that there would be like an interest for participating in this kind of open call, and even though it, it was like a kind of fast, but then you just have to like I don't know think if if the people have now time or like mm. that's and um, yeah. How many artists did you imagine that you were going to have in the exhibition? Did you draft any of this in your application for the space? Uh, well, we thought that maybe, or my my idea was that the proposals would have been like maybe half of the proposals <laughs> that we got, and then maybe that we, then yeah, and then we were at some point thinking that yeah, we'll just take every proposal that comes, but then sometimes you doubt yourself and you're like, oh, I hope we will get enough submissions. Yes, because we were more worried about that. At one point, a friend I was curating an event with told me, trust the processing. And I was like, okay, I won't stress too much about it. And we got so many. So, like, yeah, trust the process. I was very excited about this open call because, well, I still am excited about the exhibition, but it's not that often that as sound artists you are gathered with so many in the same room presenting work. It's mostly event-based or there's some, some exhibitions sometimes, but they're not that common. There so is I thought it was really exciting. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should mention there is one tiny <laughs> gallery in Helsinki dedicated to sound art and it's the only one that exists and has ever existed as a pure sound art gallery and it's called Akusmata. Um, in the west of Helsinki, and it's uh, run by Petri Kuljuntausta, who was like the godfather of sound art, I think, yeah. in this city. Yeah, Petri was also one of the founders of Anahuma, mm. like back in the 90s. Yeah. And, yeah. Why did you not have the exhibition there? Why did you choose this space that is not related to sound art? Uh, well, maybe the thinking started with the with the open call and then also that Oxisenkatu is like a it's a bigger space like there are many and there are yeah. also many different spaces inside the gallery because there's the downstairs and there is the back room mm. of the upstairs True. so that also as I said before also that that gives like more possibilities to mm-hmm. show more works so then yeah um, 
And also it's maybe more conveniently located, there are more like passerbys here. And there's a different audience also yeah, that you might attract if you are in a gallery that's not already focused on sound art, which I think yeah, can we contribute. Yeah. Yeah. To spread out a bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And so when you applied for this space, did you already have did you prepare all of your open call materials and the whole project plan and your work timetable? Did you do all of this pre-production before you even knew if you had the space or not? Or were you just like, now it's confirmed, we were selected and then you did everything like a marathon? Yeah, maybe we were more working <laughs> like in the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but then we had, we had some, well, we presented also some ideas like when would the open call be and when blah blah blah. So we had some schedule in mind already, mm. but then, but then we were uh, kind of we had to work a lot. Like also after we got selected, but yeah. <laughs> but it's funny because we were talking you and I, Marlos, uh, during this process, and you had been selected, and I knew about the open call, and you were like, I don't know what the other works are. Like this, how no. is it to work in the blind as an artist like this? And you know, it's a group exhibition. But you don't know like who you are communicating with artistically. Yeah, I wasn't so bothered with it. I was just mainly very curious who else was going to be in the yeah, exhibition. Yeah. But I only heard very late in the process. Uh, um, yeah, I, I wasn't so bothered by that because I, I trust the curators. No, that I wasn't thinking about it in this way, but yeah. more that you have the overview, so you have this like yeah. whole. You, see everything laid out and then there are the artists who are like working in these blind corners of the process. So yeah, but maybe yeah. that's also the like being free <laughs> to work on your yeah. own process, uh, yeah. process mm -hmm. and then there is the creator who kind of takes the care of the, yeah. uh, of the collage or of the uh, or the whole thing. Mm. So that's also freedom mm. to, think, to be able to work without knowing so uh, precisely what the other works. Yeah, true. So, yeah. And how was your communication? You say you had three full days for installation. Did you have a lot of people who worked like site responsibly with this exhibition space, or sorry? Yeah. So you you had all the artists here for three days in installing, or during three days? Uh, during three days. So people came like uh, like most people didn't like need so much time for installation. Uh, but we'll spend many days here. <laughs> I don't know many. Yeah, I spent quite some hours here. Yes. <laughs> but then not everybody. Like some people just came and then brought the work and then it was that. But but I think it was really nice that there was like based on also my own experience of like installing works in exhibitions. I think it's really nice and a luxury to have more time. Yeah, it's good to have at least more than one day in case yeah. that something fucks up and you need to go and buy yeah, something yeah. and then the shops are closed mm -hmm. or... Yeah. And also we wanted to be... Although we didn't like quite detailed plan about the installation or like which work would be where and so on but then we wanted still to have some time uh, so that we could like adjust that plan and then if something didn't work out somehow like or some works didn't like communicate well together then we could still like think a, a bit about that. 
Did you change a lot during the installation days? Well, actually, in the end, not so much. But then, yeah. But then there was the game, like a bit this ease of like not stressing also too much mm. because there was the possibility or like the time to still maybe make some changes. But yeah. And how was the communication with deciding this whole layout and the plan? Did you like just decide where people should be and tell them I think you should be here, or did you like did the artists have like desires and how was the dialogue about this? Um, well, some artists yeah. who were able to like visit the space beforehand, they like some people were uh, expressing some ideas, but then most people didn't have such a clear idea or like, and then yeah, but then also there was no conflict in also the proposals and so I don't know it was quite a very easy and natural, or it felt really kind of like mm. easy going process also to Yeah, you did ask us beforehand like about our requirements yeah. and lighting requirements and, yeah. and sort of mm. like ideas that we had of how things should be installed, so that helped I guess also. Mm. Yeah, because downstairs is no natural light because it's a basement, yeah. so of course there's also quite a big difference to yeah. these spaces. Uh, but I remember from the open call that you had the floor plan of the space included mm -hmm. in the open call and I thought that was really nice. Yeah. And I was like, wow, yeah, I can, because some galleries and places and venue spaces, you go on their website and you can't actually find yeah. the square meters mentioned or the floor plans or anything. Yeah. And you try to search Google for like events that have happened in the space to kind of you know, if you can find pictures with people in them, maybe you can like estimate how large these rooms are. And that's also in Oxygenator 11, like on the on their website, like uh, they have the floor plans also there. Mm. But then that was yeah, that was actually you now when I think about the open call, we I think we did somehow ask or it was a possibility to also think or like propose a place or maybe that was the idea of also sharing or I don't know if we asked that. But then, because we had the floor plans there, so then you could also propose or think about the space and the work in relation to the space. And so, yeah. Nice. I think maybe the last thing I want to just quickly touch on while we're sitting here before we should maybe do a short walk and then wrap it up. Um, it's like how has the financial structure of this whole process been when there are so many different organizations and collectives and individuals in this larger scheme of one production who is paying because there's a rent and like uh, the artists are, have all these materials and things and yeah uh, well Oxo 11 is an artist run non-profit gallery so they uh, and there there is a group of artists who work I think no one gets like pay for so it's kind of like part of their artistic practice or their so they volunteer yeah kind of yeah so but then they have gotten some grants for paying the rent hmm. and uh, now I'm not sure who are no. actually the grantees but they are on the on the website I think but anyway who are the grant givers I think. Uh, but then uh, then we applied for some funding and we got from Music in Edison, I don't know if you want that I say, well, if you want to, no, I'm just yeah. like curious and trying to have some transparency in some of these episodes about how this business is actually constructed. 
uh, yeah, yeah, and then, well, we applied uh, money from uh, the, yeah, so we got money from Musik in Edistavis Gestus, which is like a, an association to, or like a center to promote, promote or like a performing music performance or something. So then we got some money for uh, the live performances from there, and then we got some money from so the Arts Promotion Center mm. uh, of Finland. For the exhibition part. For the exhibition and um, so for paying artist fees. But now there is the... We have to still count like how much money we can actually like give out to people. So then uh, that, sure. that is still like we're going to do it towards more the end of the exhibition so we know that if there is like some emergency or something. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's like... No, it doesn't have to be that detailed, but yeah. I'm curious about this because all of these oh, associations and organizations and that, but it's like actually, yeah, what, what is it? It's a lot of people volunteering yeah. and applying yeah, for grants. And it's very precarious and then also we stated also in the open call that like there is like from the... That the starting point is that there is no money because yeah. we didn't have any grant and we didn't know if we get any grant. And also there is the conflict kind of between uh, performing art because usually if you do a performance you get some kind of fee and that's in the culture of like making a sort of a sound performance or something that you usually get a fee. Not always, but it's, it's more expected. Kind of, it's more expected. But then if you're a visual artist or fine artist, then usually, and you're doing an exhibition, usually you don't really get any money. Of you course, actually you have, to pay. Pay. Yeah. you have to pay for the gallery. <laughs> yeah. And then... Um, and you have worked a lot of hours before. I mean, as a performer, you can literally just go on the stage and improvise for half an hour. Like, no, you probably don't. You probably practice for 10 years. But technically, you could just do like wing it if you wanted to. Whereas, like, how many hours did you work on this piece? I don't even want to know. Many hours. Yeah, like many hours. A time, two months, probably. Yeah. But so also, there is a lot of work in performance. No, I didn't want to like uh, uh, minuscule it. I, it's just yeah. uh, we have had it sometimes with screening events. If there has actually been money, and some people feel like the live performers should get more than the video artists, and then. It's funny because the people saying this, they are themselves filmmakers and then it's like, but you know how much money yeah. you spend producing yeah. a short film? Yeah. Or, you know, it's it's interesting. I'm not trying to, uh, no, it's not to take the conversation in a really negative light. It's just, it's interesting, I think, for the listeners maybe to understand how it is we are um, structured or, or balancing mm -hmm. these things. Because Anne and Lumo yeah. also is run on support I assume? Uh, well in Anonymo it's um, there have been plans to try to make it more uh, kind of sustainable that there would be people getting paid mm. but so far it hasn't like uh, been successful <laughs> so now it's uh, kind of voluntary based and it's based on projects so when there is an uh, event like or this exhibition for example so then we apply for funding for that project kind of. So there is not like this constant permanent funding. But there could be like also um, what we wanted to raise as a discussion with the exhibition also that 
maybe there would be a need for this kind of more sustainable structure in terms of space or in terms of like association that would have for example like people who get paid for their work so have to have like more these sustainable structures but then at the same time I also I have talked about this with so many people but <laughs> I also enjoy because now Sonic Arts is kind of in between of like super many different fields and yeah. I also because I come from the visual arts and performing arts field and then uh, and then there are like so many people also in this exhibition who come from super many different fields and I think it's really nice that also one of the things that we wanted to bring forth in the exhibition that like people working with sound are like come from super many different mm -hmm. backgrounds. Yeah. So then also what I enjoy in Sonic Arts is that it's kind of there is this fluidity of like moving between different fields. Mm -hmm. So it's not yeah. like so fixed. Which is also like a kind of a danger if it starts to be more institutionalized, and there starts to be more this need to like define, oh, to categorize, to, yes, to yeah. define what is sonic art and what is not, what is it not. So then, there is kind of I don't know. It's <laughs> it's a it's a not a straightforward question also. But then yeah, we have quite managed to. I'm sorry for cutting you off, but just like in just in this room, there are like there's one headphone work, and then there's a screen with video and headphones. That there's models, of interactive sculpture piece. There are some paintings, and here there are your paper works. I mean, and there's like one drawing writing thing. If I walked in here and I didn't know it was about sound, I would have not guessed necessarily that like this is a sound exhibition. I would have just thought, mm -hmm. oh, this is a interesting group exhibition, a lot of different yeah, elements. Yeah. But that's also, yeah, how you, um, or like, yeah, how you conceptualize things, or mm -hmm. if you call something a Sonic Arts exhibition, then it gives a framework of interpretation also, mm -hmm. and then it might open different ways of thinking about sound or... Or these paintings. Yeah, 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 the same, yeah. Or like... It goes to both directions. Or mm. yeah. I'm sorry, did I interrupt you before when you were saying something about like uh, expectations to salaries in performing arts versus in exhibitions? Uh, Sometimes I interrupt Yeah, you. I don't know. Then I, I was just... Well, this is also a topic that I've been discussing with yeah. so many people, but then that's a big uh, question that we were a lot discussing during the process of building the exhibition and then uh, and then kind of like there is always this need like if you do something then okay that we want to do things differently that we <laughs> want that people really get paid or something when they take part in an exhibition but then also how possible it is with one exhibition to kind of like fight um, against the whole culture that has like mm. faults and then it's not that possible, but now we got some funding, so we have the possibility of paying at least something to the artists. It's just such a really nice surprise yes. <laughs> to be able to give at one point. Yes, and it's really nice, but then that's, um, yeah, that's not self-evident, and it's like, but then that's a big, big discussion about the yeah. structures of the 
the financial structures of the art scene and of different art scenes and then there is also this kind of different worlds colliding and different expectations colliding and um, yeah, it's a super big <laughs> political question also and, um, and although like we are also not getting paid for like doing the exhibition but how I see and this is also comes to, down to the question of being the kind of artist curator that I see also like the curating of the exhibition as part of my artistic practice that it's kind of like also organizing something together with other people like then that that somehow also brings things to my own work that is in the core of my artistic practice but then also that the building of the exhibition is also somehow part of that artistic practice so yeah. even though it's not like the, the core but no but this so is like an installation work that you three have made mm. and Malos has become one of your materials yeah. <laughs> and uh, that you have now like shaped into this yeah. installation work yeah. that you have put your name on and, and now I'm making a podcast so now you two have become yes. my material mm. and then I am yeah. curating uh, your words and your thoughts because of course you speak for yourself but I do ask the questions, I frame the format, I decide that we are here and where we are sitting or you can edit this afterwards. Okay. <laughs> no, that's one thing I don't do. Oh, I don't know, it's like more but you have the option I if think. you want to, if you use it as material. That's true. I like it to be this like very authentic one take. Sometimes I do a little bit of like uh, recordings from performances and then I put documentation in there yeah. if I can't have the talk with the yeah. performer while they're yeah. performing. But you know, yeah. but no, otherwise this is how it will be. I just yeah. uh, do a little bit of like uh, cleaning the sound a bit. So. Yeah, but that's like beautiful. It's like to do your own work, but then also to be like in this kind of communicative uh, process with other people, like mm. through podcasts or through making an exhibition together or yeah, no, like so that that's part of that. I think what keeps also or keeps your own practice maybe more alive <laughs> or like my own practice. Oh, it keeps us connected, which I yes, think is very important yes. also. And yeah. then there is this yeah. uh, communication or like a dialogue yeah. with other artists. And, and yeah. that's actually one thing I experience a lot of artists mention to me when we talk about all these things. It's that if they have no one no one to share the art with or talk to about the art they make, it doesn't make sense to them. Like, they get confused no, yeah. about it. Um, so, but I do, I think it says in my artist bio that I consider myself to be like a social facilitator or like, and I mean, I work with social curation as a term I have coined. And so definitely, I mean, this conversation is a materiality yeah. in itself and it's like a medium. Yeah, and also the exhibition is kind of um, like a discourse, discursive, like a, then the works are in discussion with each yeah, other. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sorry. How do you feel like that with your work here as an artist? Do you feel with the other works in this space that now your chairs are like having a dialogue happening with these other pieces, or I think so. Yes, because putting them in a, a like 
putting them in a space already feels like an act of sort of singling it out and giving it context and then with these other works around it, it uh, makes people approach things in a different way of course because there's not just this thing but there's also things happening around it so walking routes change and then people might have a certain uh, mindset from looking at the painting that is next to it and then they approach my work and then they sort of take a little bit of whatever's happening around it to what they're doing with mine. How, do you feel like the chairs behave differently in this space than they did in your studio? Um, <laughs> well, uh, I haven't tested them so extensively in my studio yet, so in my studio they were of course surrounded by my things, so then... How many chairs do you have in your studio normally? Oh, quite a lot. I have, uh, <laughs> three chairs and a stool, I think. And, and then, then now these three chairs are so Yes, yes. Well, you need to have options. Um, but when I'm working on them, they're of course not so neatly set up. Uh, so there is like one in one corner because and it's open and I'm digging through the insides and then the other one's doing another thing somewhere else and then one is on just being tested for a while. So I hadn't extensively tested them all together. Uh, before putting them here. Before putting them here. Right. Um, <laughs> Normally I would not be so happy about it, but uh, yeah, sometimes uh, time catches up on you. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I do feel that they have a slightly different uh, presence here than in my own space. I think it's just wonderful when artists decide to make um, furniture for sitting for galleries because it's so often in gallery spaces that there's nowhere to sit and look at the other works and so now people can sit on these chairs and look <laughs> at these paintings, for instance, Yeah, which is like really nice. I think we might be running a little short on the time now, I feel like the job belongs to Go at some point. Maybe um, the good order to do this would be that you can now say all of these, like your personal websites and social media that you want to share, and then share the links with me later, but it's good to verbalize them if you can. And then maybe we should walk downstairs again, to the just not like a super thorough walkthrough, but to end in this way again, and maybe you can just like uh, say the names of the artists that we're listening to while we're walking through, if you can remember them. There's a map, we can do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I trust in you. Yes. Um, okay, maybe if you want to start with your own. Yeah, I'd say you can find most stuff on my website, which I terribly have to update, like most artists. It'll but it's be a while uh, before this comes out, so maybe... It well, maybe it's happened by then. <laughs> yes, uh, so my website is marlusvansson.nl uh, and you can find it in writing, that's probably the easiest. Yeah, .nl from Netherlands, because you are from Holland. Yes, yeah. I'm originally from there, but haven't lived there for a pretty long time now. How long have you lived here? Eight years. That's a long time. <laughs> Almost finished by now. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, so your website, this is... Yes, uh, you can also find me on social media, but uh, I'd say my website is the most uh, relevant. But yes, Instagram is also, you can find me with my own name. Okay. Yeah, and again, like, we will have to show notes with a lot of links. Uh, yeah. Since we are now this onion of layer of layer yeah. of the same thing, now going meta layers with the podcast and the gallery space and the organizations, we will have a lot of links for this episode. Yes. 
Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe I can share my, uh, well, my own website is minervajuolahti.com and then uh, there also, I'm not sure if I have the social media links, but then I have Instagram with, the set, with my own name. Anyway, and then if you want to find out more about the exhibition or about Anne and Rumo, the Charm of Sound Association, then uh, it's anandrumo.com without the dots, uh, but in Finnish. <laughs> and then oxazenkatu11.fi is the gallery. So there, uh, in Anne and Rumo website, you can find also the catalog if you want to read the uh, descriptions of the pieces and uh, and there are also uh, all the events that happen during the exhibition and there are when did when is this coming out yeah uh, so I'm not sure yet your episode I think number 22 now and like just today I released episode four and five and uh -huh. so I will yeah I recorded for a year before releasing so, no, but now I'm doing two a week until there's no more, and I calculated that I can do that maybe for three months or something. Wow. So, in a few months, I think you yeah. will be up. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So then it doesn't really make sense to, because like, the no, listeners then. won't be able to uh, visit the, or ah. like, take part in the events. Yeah, no, no, I'm not that quick at all. <laughs> but anyway. And so just to also, because now we have been speaking mostly about the works and if we're going to now listen to the works that are in the exhibition space, then also because we wanted to include also in the exhibition um, this kind of more uh, ephemeral or like performance-based ways of approaching sonic arts, so then there are all these different um, like things happening during the exhibition. So what I also mentioned uh, in the beginning, yeah. is there documentation of those performances or they just happen and then uh, they're over? Yeah, well there might be some traces of the exhibition, <laughs> of the, of the events, but not like this kind of official, yeah. certain kind of documentation. Mm. I mean, that's also often on the performer themselves, right? Like some people yes. make sure to document their things really well and other people prefer it to just yeah. happen in the time that it is. Yeah, Yeah, nice. No, but that's true. You did have a lot of all these like online performances yes, and things. And then, yeah, and listening. There is one listening walk and uh, discussion on acoustic ecology. And mm. now when I'm just saying them, I feel like, wow, <laughs> it's so much. Yes, it's, so, it's a lot. So much different viewpoints also. Yes. But it's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, considering how you start stated your objectives from the beginning about what you wanted to do with this exhibition, they're like, well done. Like, you have encompassed a lot of content in one exhibition. But also, it's based on the proposals of people. So then it's thanks to all the people who sent the proposals. But also that you have been a group, right? That you are three mm. different people, and so you all have different backgrounds and ideas. Yeah. And did you have to fight about anything? Um, well, we had long, interesting <laughs> discussions about, uh, yeah, about many things. But they were also like, I think, felt really refreshing. Also, it's really nice to have these kind of discussions because usually you are kind of like a bit alone with like. Uh, with your opinions and thoughts. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then with also with your own viewpoints. So it's very uh, 
like that you have to kind of um, justify your opinion or like mm. uh, explain it to other people and then also to listen to their explanations of their opinions or so it's very yeah you can learn a lot about like from that process yeah and, I mean yeah. even though I can be super stubborn and really fixed on my own opinions and ideas and my visions about something I have learned so much from talking to other people yeah. in these processes about why they think something yeah. else yeah. makes sense yeah. yeah yeah and that's yeah really And I forgot to say that Anne and Luma and Roxy are also in social media. Like, of course, yeah. not of course, but they are. Yeah. So then you can also follow their, uh, all the events. We will have a whole pile of links. Yes. I mean, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I mean, if you manage to upload your schematics and want to have a link for that, we also <laughs> can do that. So I will guide you both uh, before we upload this. But in any case, thank you so much. In case the sound is too like kind of distracting downstairs, just thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. In depth. Yes. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for listening. Okay. Let's take a short walk. Yes. I have to check my. Oh yes. Okay. Do you need to run? Uh, I have to run in like 15, 10 minutes. I can do the short walk. Yeah, that's fine. Can we do, no, but we're not going to do 15 minutes. Can we do two minutes, three minutes of walk? Yeah. Yeah. But you can also run. Do you want, uh, the, here is my thing. Well, here are the, like, blah, 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 the basic. Okay, I think we will not spend time describing everything because it's too much and we have already recorded almost two oh. hours. But who are we listening to here? It's a so it's Audio CLU, they have these uh, fabric electronic interactive uh, pieces. It's pillows with eyes. Yes, you can touch them and then they'll That's react great. to certain things in the uh, yeah, kind of like electronic textile robot. Okay. Oh, there's these flaps. <laughs> Moaning. A little bit creepy. <laughs> okay. And a little smartphone. Uh, yes, this is Murkrum, Panty Yusila, Ben Tuomi. A smartphone with a. Uh, mirrors and watching it and it uses uh, some kind of analysis to scramble. Yeah, it's a scrambled face. Yeah. Nice. Okay, let's go down the stairs. Thank you if you're leaving while we are going there. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. The winding uh, stairs to the basement. Yeah, this is not accessible for people with. Uh, no, it's a difficult space. Okay, um, we are under the staircase. This is the Harry Potter corner. Uh, yeah, this is Ula Prami. Uh, it's a tablet with a sound composition and then some glass objects that people can play with while listening. Uh -huh. 
I will. Okay, nice. It's a cute little corner. Yes, and yeah, it's really nice to be under the stairs like that. Like a little intimate moment. And this, uh, it's with motion sensors, a lot of these works, huh? Yeah, the power plugs have motion sensors, so they switch on when you walk past mm-hmm. because certain things are a little bit fragile, and if they're on all the time, they might not survive the whole duration of the exhibition. Mm. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, work by uh, Adela Konechna. Um, and it's uh, it's like a rose made from a recycled bakery bags. Yes, and then you can touch the the knob and change the speed of the Ooh. of the crackling. Oh, because the rose is spinning slower or faster. Nice, cool. I mean, I did a silent walkthrough here before we started, so now yeah. people just get to have the explanation. Yeah, you have some material. So here is a funny little sculpture with like some fan that is making some wind stuff, and there are headphones. Yeah, it's a work by Dimitri Sherby, uh, a noise artist, instrument builder. Uh, so he created this object that makes noise independently, and then you can listen to it. Kind of mm-hmm. That would be a really nice sound in people's ears. Yes, it's <laughs> a, and there are some mm, yes, graphic mm. prints on the wall. See, this is uh, Sami Klemola. Uh, it's a uh, yeah, paper works uh, by him. Okay. We are moving on. Yeah, I'm rushing us a little bit through because it's been a long episode already. Yes, we've been talking for very What long. is this? This is uh, uh, Mika Kivinyemi. Uh, um, yeah, sound and audiovisual work. He was using the speaker as a microphone and then manipulating it and then playing the sound that he created with that uh, over the same speaker again. Mm. And then he has some visual material with that that kind of demonstrates his experiments. And I like that the video is matching the colors of my clothes. Yeah. Cool. And then the last room, the back room. Yeah, that's Titi Arola. Uh, she's a composer, instrument builder. Uh, so this is one of her instruments, a kind of wearable guitar with four necks, um, which she now sets oh. up as a performance in this yeah in the oh, festival this noise event wow that is so fun yeah. so now she set it up as an installation so she made a composition for the piece and then it's played over transducers that are placed on the instrument so mm. it's kind of the instrument as a speaker and this is the biggest room in the whole gallery and yes. she got it all to herself well from what i've heard is that there's been water damage on the left side so they didn't dare to put any works there uh, because sound and stuff yeah because electronics and water I think we started with this piece um, before with the podcast, so let's end with this one as well.
maybe that was it. Cool. Thank, Thank you for, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. it.